thank you very much. That was really interesting. Um, I've got kind of a, a, a comment, suggestion, not suggestion. A, yeah, suggestions. A, yeah, well, I'll let you decide what you said it. Um, and uh, a question. So the comment is, um, I couldn't help but notice how often the ideas that, the kind of things that I talk about when I talk about um, Lefebvre mm -hmm. are very similar to some of the ways that you talk about it in terms of the rhythms and routines of life. Mm. Um, I can't remember whether it was you talking personally or an example about the unreflectedness of it, and you don't really think about the routine that you're in, but it is structured yeah. in a certain yeah. way. And the way that time, I really like this idea of social time, is, is structured not by your social personal relationships, but by capitalism, effectively. Um, so I was wondering if, so that's why it's just a comment, really. No, it's just it's similar to the first work. Um, and the other one was, in what sense are you talking about finance? Are you talking about it in the sense of kind of accountancy, or as a because it's a financially related firm? Because if it's the second one, is there something specific about a finance firm that? So when I worked in a charity, they had month end mm. for budget cycles, basically. Yeah. So how are you understanding finance in that sense? Generally, thank you. That makes yeah, that makes sense, and that does come up mm. a bit actually. And, it, and even when you work in these companies, you say the word finance. And half some people think you mean the accounting team, mm. and other people think you mean that. So yeah, it always does get a bit lost in translation. For me, I'm talking about finance as, as the sector, in this case, asset finance. And I should maybe point that out at the beginning as well. If I'm, and if I refer to the finance department or finance processes, I'll probably say accounts just to mm -hmm. define the two. Um, but you're right, month end is not just synonymous with finance, there's nothing unique about it necessarily. Um, what I think it does do in finance is I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, it might be that, so, that there's a reason they have to, the reason they're reporting and getting the work done quite so much like that is for this legislation and because it's all, all about money. So you go and work in some of the universities or some universities and quite some other departments and some charities I think as well, they just, there's no urgency there, there's no shareholders. There's no market value. There's no com the competition is different, so they can just they just roll over weeks on weeks and just finally report at the end of a quarter or something, or not within three days. So some of these these companies are reporting within three days or five days. And I think that is the urgency. But you're right. It's not necess I don't think it's necessarily exclusive to finance. I think that was just the way I wanted to frame this for the finance you know, for you guys as a finance audience actually. Um, and the fact that it was the research was done in, in asset finance, it was so remarkable to what I've seen. But no, I think unless I spoke to loads of different sectors, will I really know how unique that is to finance? Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> but thank you for the Lefer thing. I know of his stuff, but I've not looked at it in regards to time, so that would be really useful. Yeah, I don't, think, yeah I don't know if he talks in terms of time, but the stuff on everyday life is about everyday rhythms and routines. Yes, he done a book on rhythm analysis. Yeah, there was actually oh, a book okay. about that. Mm. Rhythm analysis? Yeah, mm. I've got a copy. But <laughs> <laughs> you're not having one. <laughs> <laughs> you just sit down and yeah. get a drum for me, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my final chapter's about everyday life, actually, so I'll probably mm. get that in interesting. Uh, yeah, thank, thanks very much for the, the talk. It's, it's a really interesting PhD project overall by the sounds of it, and th so thanks for sharing it with us. One comment that just what struck me really is that you seem to have quite a powerful critique in there of the whole 
whole notion of flexi time as well, right? Because although flexi time is usually construed as something that you know is is, is kind of to the benefit of, of gender equity and so on and that kind of discourse, you're actually kind of revealing the lie in that that this is the opposite of flexi time. This is mm. discipline time with unsociable hours. So it, it's 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 not so much flexible as as kind of ensuring that the ideal worker is able to work when the firm wants to. And so to me it seemed to be quite a strong kind of story about labour and labour conditions in a financial firm more than anything. Um, and yeah, just a comment really, that I think you could do an awful lot with unpacking the whole kind of perhaps discourse of flexibility on the one hand, mm -hmm. but how that whole notion of flexibility is actually quite a, a kind of a disciplinary mechanism in, in practice. Um, and, and, and yeah, I mean, otherwise it's just it's just great to hear about, so thank you. Oh, thank you, and actually that sounds kind of a lot of my supervisors have been probably banging on at me about for, for weeks and months on end. It's like, draw this out, make yeah, work, just, make most of it. And I think yeah, actually yeah. you said it's really useful because I, yeah, I do feel like, I think it's because I've read so much work-life balance yeah. literature that that's perhaps just the way, the normal way that people do it. And mm. I need to probably push that a little bit more because because you're right, we're always sold the benefits of flexible work. And mm. flexible time, like that definition before, and some of the ways it's used, so um, public, service. My stepmom, for example, works for, I don't remember the science, the science version of ESRC, whatever that is, and they have flexi time, but proper flexi time. They will arrange meetings around when people are and aren't there. It will be annualised so they can come and go as they want, um, they can it, combine it with other types of flexible work. You could critique, critique that as well. Mm. I think what was happening at this organisation was just this kind of giving them this glimpse of autonomy, making it feel, there was, I read a paper about it, I can't remember the guy's name, or even what it was linked to, something to do with post-fordism I think, about giving this link of, <laughs> this link of um, glimpse of autonomy makes the employees feel very grateful, and make yeah. them feel like they've got something, and that's yeah. enough yeah. a lot of the time, but yeah, it is, thank you, I will try and do a bit more with that. I don't want to decide. I was thinking in the same direction as Chris just said, and basically, because it feels like there's a big debate about the future of work, obviously, mm. right? And this doesn't feel like the most radical idea within it, right? Because, yeah. like, it struck me that you said something like home office doesn't really exist, or they don't do it in this firm at least. Oh, like you can't. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, sorry, not the home office. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> 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 that <would be> uh, <laughs> Yeah, um, so, so there, are, there are very different debates also about how you kind of count this time, right? Mm. Or something like answering emails after work or oh, accepting yeah. phone calls. And I was wondering how this plays in, because the way you presented it, and I don't know if I discarded this way, if it's actually working. So it seems like, well, they're kind of flexible, at, but they're only working at work, mm. right? Which is, in a way, untypical almost. Right? And, yeah. and, and it's not really the, the trend, right? So, so you can push it in that way, asking how all these different forms feed in, right? These like additional forms of flexibility that are being <coughs> kind of tested at the moment, and which then contrast with demands for like shortening the work week, for example, right? So, so there, are, there are very different ideas of what the future of work could mm. look like. And yeah, this is maybe not the most certainly not the most progressive one, right? 
so it's, it's interesting to contrast maybe with different ones and see how to tease out the implications. And actually, yeah, like something I'm trying to do because the second organisation that I went to, um, still asset finance but slightly different position in assets, they, that was exactly that. They didn't do flex time, but they did everything else and they were really pushing working from home and, and it was so different in that sense of the future of work. But the problems were the same because they were, they all, a lot of them talked about that like you said about answering emails at home because they all had either remote access or lots of them had phones. So they were all doing that at home. So the problem this ideal worker and extending the working week was still happening, but it was happening at home. And you're right, I wonder if this company here if they introduced working from home, would these people ever stop working because they had flexi time at work? And maybe that's why, maybe because they've got this flexi time policy, they can't introduce working from home because where does flexi time start and stop? Is it just an office-based you know, policy perhaps? So maybe that's why they deliberately don't do it. Um, and I think, but I think a, co yeah, you're right, a contrast is an interesting way and thinking about framing it as a, a future of work might be a nice way. And also, who pushes it, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, I, <clears throat> I'm not really familiar with the debate in the UK, but more familiar with the debate in Germany. But there's a whole, like, in, you know, the future of industry and the future of work. So it's like two strands working on it. If we want our industry, industry to be competitive, then we yeah. need to introduce different kind of work ethics, right? And then, but from the other side, you also have the demand for more flexibility coming from lots of corners. So, mm -hmm. so how do these things feed in, right? It's not just a kind of labour demand and also an active industrial strategy. Nobody really talked about that. Even the managers, one of the managers in the other company talked about the future and um, productivity. He talked a lot about productivity generally. He talked a lot about how they see or saw work in the future, flexible work in the future. But none of them really talked outside, they didn't talk globally. I don't know whether maybe that was the way I was framing it because the interviews were quite framed about you and your work and your home life, so perhaps it didn't drive them to the point about looking at the wider market or yeah. any political things yeah. really, because they, they really didn't. But yeah, but you're right, these policies are, the right to request flexible work policy that the government introduced was 2014, actually when I started, PhD. One of the drivers behind that is supposedly to move the workforce into the 21st century, um, to create a more gender balanced society. Whereas really, it will be about productivity and it will be about it's all these other political things. But it hasn't really come into much of what I've done. So it could be interesting to at least drop that into the, my discussion somewhere. Actually, and that's why that's why political people are usable. <laughs> <laughs> that was great um, and uh, I think like uh, having known you like through this process I think some of our work is quite similar in looking at work and in your case like flexible work as a site of kind of gender contestation um, and I just was 
it's just a reference I want to give you actually. Okay. Um, I was kind of starring some words as you as you were talking. Energy one and that kind of conflating with time and how that interacts with time, but also commitment demonstrated via time. And mm -hmm. I don't know if you've read it, but Maddie Breeze, she's written a really good paper on totally different on roller derby, oh, like yes. the feminine feminist yeah. sport. Yeah. It's a great paper, but she critiques. Um, like commitment as this kind of interactional achievement and um, looks at the ways in which, yeah, that um, roller derby is a site mm -hmm. of gender contestation, but in a lot of the way I think you could maybe kind of bring that in, um, in terms of the like the practices and the enactments of, you have these policies, you have this kind of diverse framework and the um, specificity of each institutional organisation mm -hmm. and how it's actually done in practice um, and her kind of work kind of bridges those things quite nicely oh, nice. yeah. um, I'll send you the paper before, but actually. yeah it's really good on like critiquing how being there is seen to be like um, committed and therefore being taken seriously um, and she's like talks about that in relation to gender so yeah it's just something I know because just everything I've got is very organization and pretty yeah. middle of the road so anything that could just be a bit more interesting for particularly kind of you know feminists of other ideas and things yeah. I think would be quite useful to throw in there and that sounds like a paper I wouldn't actually mind reading <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so yeah thank you I think, <laughs> I, think um, I would have a you said you had other um, you investigated other institutions as well yeah, right? one other one other yeah. Um, so my question is about how sort of the practices in this um, firm related to the other one, and mm -hmm. how. So, for example, does it make a difference that you said that in a usually feminized kind of strand of work, mm -hmm. in this case there was parity, the the male manager, what what was the agency of the male manager to sort of apply this kind of. Um, flexible working patterns in a way that you know that fitted his view of how the organization mm. should be practicing and are they used in different ways in different organizations so can you sort of compare it with the other yeah. organization a bit or? I, can't, I can't do a direct comparison as mm. such because I only spoke to I think it was one or two people from the sales support yeah. team and the yeah. others and they, yeah. well, they were both women actually so there might yeah. have been something in that um, but the two managers, the manager we had here who was saying about, um, what, what I suppose was similar about them is when if I take it to my next chapter which is looking about what they're like at home. So both the managers from both very senior managers in the organisations, they were both um, of a similar age, similar generation, um, they were both the breadwinners at home. Um, and they had both worked, as you would expect, really hard to get to their positions. And I think that's the thing that makes them similar, that this ideal worker, they'd subscribe to that all the way through. And they'd been able to because they're of a generation where their wives either weren't working or were working part-time, they, they worked overtime, and they became senior managers. And that undoubtedly has shaped the way they look at flexible work. And it's, I mean, that's kind of, kind of obvious stuff, I suppose. Um, what was a bit different about the manager from the other company? He seemed to be a lot more aware of 
nothing, progressive attitudes towards gender and time and work and things like that. Although I think that was perhaps because he had been forced to, because he had had a health scare from overwork, so he had had to rein it in himself, started working from home, started to think this was great, and everybody should work from home more, and he could see the benefits for everybody in working from home. Whereas the manager from this organisation didn't really seem to think like that at all. He was just a lot more thinking about getting this job done and, and this is how we do it. And because he went, he came to the office every day. He didn't move anything forward. He, the other guy in the other department was a bit more progressive and he was advocating, come on, let's all work from home more. We don't have to work nine to five, anything like that. Well, this guy was just really traditional. But neither of them recognised the amount of hard work that they took for granted, I suppose. So there was those similarities. I think a follow-up question could be, so, whether the, as you say here, gender-blind policies mm. that overlook the different social norms around work and household, how, so, how the vagueness of it allows certain practices to, to shape work practices in a way that even accessible, so even in a, in a sector that used to be feminized, now sort of these, um, work-life balance approaches are enforced that maybe shift mm -hmm. this gender balance to the disadvantage of, of women. Yeah, that, and or, I mean, that, you know, might not be... I think in this company, what, yeah, it could. Although I would... It depends. I think that this company, this team was at a bit of a tipping point. I think where it was had gender parity at the moment with half of these young men and half these probably older women or old women of a similar age. That's probably quite a good thing, a bit of diversity in a team like that might not be so bad. But if the manager went full flux the other way and started just employing these young men, then they probably would just become a bit of a problem. And yeah, this, this, this gender-blind policy, flexi-time, which doesn't recognise that some people are able to be more flexible than others, has worked against um, working women's this favour, service. Um, I don't know about the other company really. I'm trying to think about how else they could do. But I think it's, I mean, it's not my idea. That's from some, there's theorists who talk about that as well. I just can't remember who they were. Um, but it's just the idea that we've come so far, it's great, but we've, um, they don't talk about flexi time just being for mothers anymore. But we do, but we don't recognise that lots of other things still haven't changed, that women still are predominant carers, and that actually a lot of men would like to be caring more as well, and that just doesn't get brought into any discussions of policy, either um, national level or organisational level, because something you find as well, like this flexi time policy in this company, it just dominated everything. There was no real discussion about, in either company actually, of a, a kind of national legislation. They all talked about their own organisational policy, which is awesome. So it's both this. Um, thanks, Heather. <laughs> That's great. Uh, I just have a question because it's something I've been struggling with uh, in my research. Um, so you said that um, Acker's theory of gender organizations uh, basically has this problem with essentialism mm. that it kind of reinforces these these ideas about masculinity and femininity. And yeah, like I said, this is something I've been struggling with. How can you talk about gender organizations without just like 
yeah, reinforcing these ideas. Have you? Yeah. Come. Do you have an answer to this? Yeah. Um, <laughs> because it's something only something I've really started thinking about myself really, because I've trotted along the old idea going, yeah, gendered organisations, great, and then I start to realise what that actually means. And I think maybe talking in a room like this as well, versus probably like quite a male audience compared to what I'm used to, has really made me think about what some of these terms, what these things I'm saying actually mean. And I don't know, I think I'm probably going to end up just acknowledging it. Mm. Maybe finding other people that have acknowledging it and just saying it's not it's not ideal, a bit like I did probably with Fleetwood's three things, and just saying it's not ideal. It is really essentialist. What about this, that, and the other? However, it's a nice framework to use. I'm going to go with it. Acker acknowledges it. She rewrote the oh, in in inequality regimes as a way of being more intersectional. But I don't know how. Yeah. yeah, I struggled with that paper because it just felt yeah. like she it just felt like she in just said in them yeah. intersectionality into it, which is its own problem in itself. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> but but I think they acknowledge it. Yeah, it is, and I think that, and as the the paragraph I used to explain it, I just thought this is just really mm -hmm. just playing into the hands. of it's going to get easily, I thought you, actually you were probably going to pick it apart and go, hang on a minute, this is all just very silly because it's just about. Square tables or whatever it was we were talking about, and let's this. How can this all be gendered now? So, yeah, if I think of something, if I do do it, I'll let you know. But I think I'm just going to have to acknowledge it as a, yeah. as a critique of it. Can I um, follow up on that? Um, mm. One thing that I thought struck being kind of the finance world that we come from is that the way that firms are changing. So, on the one hand, there's this idea in financialization about how firms that weren't financialized before become financialized. Um, so this was previously a, a lorry selling company. Yeah. Do they make them? Yeah. So they're a manufacturer yeah. who then gets yeah. financialized part of their organization and then that has that changes the nature of an organization internally. So you might mm. um, see the way that month end is a kind of a very structuring thing in a finance organization seeps into other parts of it as, a, as an effect. Mm. And in the same way, um, this company has shareholders, right? Yeah. So there's also a, a literature and financialization about how shareholder, was it shareholder value? Yeah. Shareholder yeah. value shapes what firms have to do. They're kind of disciplined yeah. into um, certain forms of work, basically, or for, sort of for certain forms of labor to hit shareholder targets, um, yeah. which I don't think you have to there's necessarily a problem with the framework being essentially, I'm not even that sure it's as critical as you seem to think it is, but um, Which, the, the, okay. uh, uh, the gendered organisation, gendered firm stuff, you can just say there's other ways of understanding it as well, right, this yeah. is one, but there's also, you know, there are other things that are playing into it. Um, yeah. And then the other final one, these are just random comments, on the comments <laughs> is, do you know, have you heard about depletion, the concept of depletion? Um. I, I know the word, but I don't know if I know it in a theoretical It relates term. very closely to, to your, your middle one about work-life balance and mental health. So it's kind of, I think, Shirin Rai, concept really, who's in the department, oh, about yeah. the offset okay. between reproductive work and productive work and the kind of exhaustion that women feel having to do both. Yeah, so the concept quite. sounds familiar. Yeah. I don't know if I've heard of it as depletion, but I quite like that. Yeah, it's like exhaustion and tiredness that people yeah. have to do because they 
have to navigate both these two roles. And what would be quite nice for me is to be to use that because there are in the second case study there are there are male carers as well. Mm. You know, there's a lot more. There are that is something that's happening. It's slightly different dynamic, but they are certainly experiencing what you know the mothers of the past mm. were experiencing, mm. doing exactly the same thing. And yeah, that that I like that word actually. That's quite nice. I'm gonna go, I think that does sound familiar. Let's see if I can find it. But yeah, there was something I think when you're saying about um, this idea of the financialising firms and shareholder values and stuff, there's something about this first company, this company, because the company I used to work for was also there's a few of them out there, so it wasn't just two um, truck manufacturers turned mm. financiers, and um, they there was a weird culture in there that was basically just based in old trucks built up in the Midlands mm. or whatever, probably a bit further north than here actually. And so there was this kind of old boy mechanic type mm. culture mixed in with this quite heavily, mine was an American company as well, so really heavily driven financial culture. Um, and it all just came together at, at the end for this month end. So there was these people who were selling their trucks and they were determined they had to sell them all by the end of the month. That's how they'd always lived. And there's also guys saying you have to report by the end of the month. Mm. And there's just this pressure it just got really, got really silly. And it was quite, and I don't know, I mean, I would probably argue that that's kind of some extreme masculinism being ramped up, but it, because of the nature of the two cultures come together. It's also a really interesting insight into kind of the, 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 the work on financialization on productive becoming financialized. Mm. We never really think that. about it in terms of how it actually plays out, it's like the financialization of the economy, but this is a concrete example of how these two old world, new world, Start yeah, butting heads. that's what they are. Yeah, I didn't know that. Cause that might be quite good, as even if it's a discussion point at this yeah, stage, just to say future research. I mean, there's quite a big sociological debate about it. It's not just based on political science. It's the, the financialization of, yeah. of non-financial uh, firms. I guess people like Plays into neoliberalism. And but is it, yeah. is it the case that uh, it, it it sort of makes up a big share of the profits of the company? Like the, the finance business, or is that not actually the I case? Is it not actually? Like oh, okay. Um, I think it's. I'm trying to think about where I used to work. If I can think of. of any, if this company is the same, but where I used to work, I don't think. I think the truck manufacturer was was predominant. They were bigger because they were the only places that could. Um, they were the only, they, were, you know, they built the trucks, that's what they did, they were the only place that built them. Once you buy one, you can go and get it financed anywhere, actually, mm. so you don't have to use, same with cars, you don't have to use their financier, you can go to the bank. So it probably wasn't more profitable as such, but it was probably, it could spin quite a nice profit. And it was quite, where I worked anyway, it was quite, you could be quite fluid and flexible with it, so you could kind of withdraw products and stick products in and, and it was it was a money maker so subsidies would come through from the trucks into the finance convince them to sell to buy you know to buy by giving them good finance so the money would all switch around between each ones to, to make it all but there's obviously a reason why they do this right? at some point to do this go into this financial it must be a money making just a little, thing. little top up yeah yeah there, were, there was always like this anecdote that before the crisis, you know, like all the big German manufacturers made more money on, the, on investing in the finance markets than actually 
was selling their art. Mm. Okay. And I think that was like a big inspiring um, sort of image for, for that uh, financialization. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I have. Can, I yeah, have the Americans. Another. Yeah, yeah like all really those. Quite liked it as well. Can I also ask? Oh, also? oh yeah. So first, <laughs> like uh, another thing. To so, like uh, again, like for the financialization uh, mm. debate. I, I, no, I, I just wondered. You were saying that a few times that the shareholders, like for them, it was very important that you be able to, you know, report very quickly mm. or be in legislation. And um, so, would so I just wondered how that pref, like how actually the pressure trickles down. Is that mm. can you actually see if you fail a report? That then you see somewhere you know the value of the shares go down, or like it, you implied that. Mm -hmm. I just wondered mm -hmm. how if you could like you maybe ex how explain works. how actually it trickles the down. Process. Can I? I'm, yeah. I have a second question. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hang on. The other one is um, that you were talking about these two concepts of quantitative time and qualitative time, yes. which that seems very straightforward. No, not straightforward. Yeah, but okay. seems intriguing to me. Yeah. But I didn't quite understand how it's structured. Like. Okay. Um, the analysis here. Yeah, I'll do that second one first. That one okay. I can guarantee you can explain. Um, so, flexi time is, um, I was saying, it's all about just, it's just measured time. So, what every for every hour they work, they get an hour back, give or take, just basic hours, minutes. Um, so they get they they get back what they put in in time. Um, but I argued that what that doesn't do is it doesn't recognise that time also has a qualitative quality value to them. It means that time means something to these people. So the guy who wanted to spend time with his girlfriend over month end, he wanted time off at month end. That was when he wanted to use his flexi time would have been at, at month end. But he wasn't able to use it. So we had to use it after month end because um, so I'm trying to explain better. So he got a time back. He got that hour time back, an hour back, or half a day back to use. But he wasn't able to use it in the way he wanted. So we overlooked the qualitative nature of time. Does that help you? Mm -hmm. Should I go yeah. another? Just yeah, think of another no, no, it, 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 it makes sense. I think it's quite it, like the social yeah. media money stuff, where yeah. a pound isn't a pound. You know, the origin of the pound, like how it's earned, how you understand it, is that you know they're, they're quantit qualitatively different. Yeah, I, I just wondered, like, what critique mm. it gets you at, because I think, like, all the fintech mm. people, they then would say, well, you basically need a nap, which then tells <laughs> you, know, which tells you what, what, quality, what quality of time you're having at the moment, one that monitors you <laughs> constantly. You have to put that into data, so you have to find, you have to find measures that reflect the quality of it. Mm -hmm. And I find that's quite troubling that because it's sort of another attempt to make it measurable. Mm -hmm. So I feel like a critique that says, well, you know, you only have quantitative time, but you don't really recognize our qualitative time, will get you to critique that really easily switches into, you know, we should actually yeah. start, yeah, start quantifying that one as well. And I, I suppose that would be the, because that would be the positive answer, wouldn't it? So I could come back as a Pope kind of interpretist down the other end and say, but we can't, we, that's not something we can measure, because as qualitative interviewers, we're not going to measure value. Really, we just can't measure how somebody values stuff. All we can do is try and understand how they value it. Um, and work, some of the work-life balance research has, has done that. It talks so you get all these time use surveys, for example, that will go 
this is what they do. So this is, and there's a whole tiny study centre in Oxford sociology, and all they do is just measure how people use their time. Whereas I would say that that's just looking at chunks of time, and what we need to do is understand what that time means to them and how they, how, why they use it like that. And it's not going to necessarily be measurable. Is there a qualitative? Is the qualitative bit still there though? But it's just the manager's value of time that's yeah, dominant. Oh, possibly. So you. Yeah. Are, so there is, there is a value there. It's just not the employees. Or if it is, that's negotiated a lot, and that's where this kind of time as gendered contestation, I think, is quite interesting because you're saying like it's not totally the employers. It's not. To- it's definitely not the employees, but there's a lot of contesting going on. There's power in who decides what hours. Yeah. Are. Yeah. So this idea when of the power worked. is linked to the qualitative. Yeah. Because I think the policy, or it's, this may be really oversimplifying from no, my understanding, but it's like the policy saying, "Hey, flex time's great. You can take off time when you want." The reality is that time is it's it, that's not how it's practiced because the values of the organisation and the values of the managers shape that time or that value of time. I'm trying to think if they even... I suppose the organisation probably does. I mean, that's why it was from the guy that said who was sitting next to you earlier about a real critique of flexi time. Yeah. That we're saying, yeah, that it's a great thing. Why is it not a great thing? Everyone gets their time back. They can use the time that they want. But that's not how it was being used here. And even um, right back at the beginning, Chung's definition of uh, giving employees flexibility over their working pattern. Yeah. This wasn't this flexi time policy wasn't really that but i wonder i'm i'm unsure whether i could say it was the managers well it's i think you could say it's the managers have an understanding of time which is one hour is one hour yeah so yeah, they have yeah. they give a That's meaning like, which is a quantitative yeah. meaning but that isn't how people experience time but even then yeah. so this is really anecdotal but my personal experience of working in a press office was I had a manager who had young children, so she really understood that. So it, this may be an idea of like managers as critical actors in terms of interpretation of the value of time, or I don't know something. But yeah. because for maybe for this guy, the older manager with adult children, an hour was an hour, but that wouldn't be the same. Maybe just them as mediators of time value. And I quite <laughs> like the idea of doing because I'm saying something about managers as well as they're the ones who actually interpret these policies yeah. anyway. They're interpreting their policies in their own way and applying them to their staff, which is not I'm not putting this. Um, and actually that's part of their interpretation. How they value time then mm-hmm. is part of the way they interpret that onto people, I think then. Yeah. Well it's not this yeah. purely up to them, right? It's not the manager just saying we need to get this done. But that's why I'm saying it's negotiated. No, but it's, it's yeah, but it's also structured by other imperatives, right? There's a reason why I don't know trading picks up before you have to do your accounting. So there's a financial structure behind mm-hmm. it, which kind of conditions why there's more work to do at month end, right? Yeah. It's not just the manager saying we can slack and then we have to push through. No, and, so I, and I wasn't saying that. No, no I, I think. know, but like so, there's a limit to how much. Agency, agency that you would apply, yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, so who has an agency? Which leads us to the second question: How does the things trickle down? Oh God! God, 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 God. <laughs> I really don't want to know. know. <laughs> wow, well, you have to excuse me because this um, point. Hang on a minute, let me write this down now. How the shareholder so this is, this is a structure. Like the structure. So this point was me 
asking my partner, she ran out the door this morning, just help me remember exactly why I'm talking about month end and why it makes a difference because he was a finance controller for a month end, uh, an asset finance company. It's like, why does it make a difference? Why, why is it? And um, so by somebody, I think it's when you look at, I don't know, let's say company's house, for example, if you go in there and it says that they, all their reports are reported in promptly or by the, by the end at least of the, the month or the quarter, how quickly do they report their month end? Um, I think that goes on to there. I think, it's, I think it's just part of the story that builds how good this company are, in the best words, how reliable they are. I can't say exactly how it, how it does it. I know in the company I used to work for, they were an American-owned company, so they had quarterly or audits because they were either internal or external. They had Sarbanes-Oxley audits. Um, they had um, shareholders in America, shareholders in the UK, really, and everybody was bearing down on you to, to, to get this stuff, you know, to, to report a month end. They wanted to know now what these figures were, real ones. Now. And um, so there was pressure from the shareholders, more so than I think the, the market value. Um, and I think it was a bit about keeping up appearances. Yeah actually just about looking like you're one of these high performing on top but but the trickle down in another sense is that who has to do this the, pe the people every day on the ground had to make this happen so that they could report it back up to everybody and it could report all the way back up and i think it depends how that works and who that affects <laughs> my partner says is um who depending on the size of the company where they're based so this being based in America means they've got more stringent regulations than, um, so this company um, in kind of Scandinavia area, North Europe, that, yeah, they're, they're also quite so strict as the finance companies, and if they're big as well, um, and I'd be interested, I think if I'm going to use this concept, I'm going to have to go away and find out a bit more about other companies do, you know, what that means in finance, but it's quite hard to find, to understand. <laughs> Maybe month end. Everyone has different things. I think if you try and create it to a monthly cycle, we put month end and monthly cycle in Google. So I don't know if that really answers your question. I think it's because I don't fully, fully understand it myself. Um, but it, yeah, keeping up appearances is probably a summary of why it's good. Cool. Um, I think yeah, we're, we're way longer than I expected it, but oh, then wow. we realised that we sort of in the in but uh, emails we said 4 to 5 but then on the post it said 4 to 5.30 so it's just in between oh, wow. so it's like uh, is everyone yeah. happy? Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's only got like an hour <laughs> <laughs> okay so uh, thanks so much thank you thanks, thanks.